are about to launch um, into about three weeks in terms of a series, a talk, a conversation. And this series is called Exodus. And what I love so much about this series is that it's kind of different from what we normally do here at Downtown Harbor Church. This is going to be unique. This is going to be different. This is actually going to be kind of like a foundation for almost everything that we do here at DHC. A lot of times at Downtown Harbor Church, we pride ourselves on being practical, right? We talked that one of our core values and our core principles is this. See, we believe that you should be able to hear something here on Sunday and then exactly the next day on Monday, put it into practice. And we're going to do that a little bit today too. But why I love this series so much that we're going to talk through is because this series is kind of like foundational almost to our faith, but not only just to our faith, but to humanity itself. Because we're going to go through in this message series, a lot of this, a lot of history. And history is important here because history, not only related to our faith and the scriptures, but history related to humanity. How did certain groups of people get where they are? How did certain groups of people end up over here? And so our history throughout this series in Exodus is going to center around these group of peop- this group of people who were known as the Israelites, right? So God created humanity and these group of people who were kind of like the first recorded human beings, these Israelites were connected to God. And this Exodus is a little bit of their story, their very early story. Because there was a point in time where these Israelites, they actually became slaves. Now, our country has a history with that horrific, barbaric thing that we call slavery. And these, this group of people, the Israelites, they actually ended up in their history as slaves at one point in time as well. They were slaves in a country called Egypt. Most of you have heard of that country. But I want to kind of give you a disclaimer and a heads up. Like if you're a note taker or if you're like a zoner outer, like you better zone in for just a little bit because there's a lot of like little snippets that I'm going to go through. And if you miss something, even if you're listening online and you're like, man, I really want to catch up so I can get, you know, ready for next week, just make sure to zone in because this next part, there's a lot of little stuff related to how they got there and what this looks like that you just don't want to miss as we unpack how the Israelites became slaves and what that looked like and how God rescued them. Okay. So we're going to take a look at that for the next couple of weeks. But as I was writing this message, because I knew throughout my entire you know, history and my faith, and as I've studied the text and the scriptures throughout my life, I've always known that the Israelites ended up as slaves in Egypt. But I said to myself, how did this happen? How did the Israelites actually become slaves in Egypt? I don't know that I could actually remember that. Like I knew that they were slaves in Egypt, but how did they get there? What was the process that actually landed them there? And so I'm going to talk about a couple of things here, and this is where you just want to zone in and just make sure you're, you, don't, you don't miss anything because you could easily miss one of these things. So there was a guy by the name of Joseph, okay? Think of the coat, okay? Like the Donny Osmond musical, okay? You've seen that. This is the guy I'm talking about, Joseph in the coat of many colors. This is him, okay? And Joseph was a guy who he was kind of outcast by his family and then ended up in Egypt and kind of ascended to the throne of Egypt to be in charge of Egypt, okay? You following me on this? So Joseph, an Israelite, ends up outcast from his family and ends up in Egypt kind of ruling the country. Okay, you got me? So then in Israel, where he was from, famine hit the land, which means there was no food, everything was dried up, and they needed somewhere 
nowhere to go, these Israelite people. So Jacob, who was Joseph's father, remember that. So you have Jacob and then you have Joseph. Remember Joseph in charge of Egypt. Jacob took all of Joseph's brothers, right, and anybody related to them, and he went and found Joseph. And Joseph gave them safe haven, safe harbor in the country of Egypt because they were his family. So you have Joseph who's in charge, an Israelite. His family is under famine. They're struggling. Now his family has kind of migrated over and now been allowed to settle in Egypt because Joseph's in charge. Everybody got that? Because that's a little bit difficult to follow, right? So then in the book of Exodus, and if you have a scripture, you can open it up. If not, it'll be on the screens, right? In Exodus chapter one, verses six through eight, it says this, in time, Joseph, the guy who I was talking about, the guy in charge and all his brothers, what? Died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. So you have Egypt now kind of being populated by and filled by these Israelite people, right? And we've seen this even in modern culture. If you're tuned into media at all, you know that like immigration is still a big deal in our country today. It's a big deal in countries all around the world. You can have an opinion of that which way or the other. That is not what I'm saying today, but it's still out there. There's this thing when people go, this is my land, and now it's being populated by all these different people. What are we going to do? Well, sure enough, there was a ruler who was in charge of Egypt. Pharaoh was his name. This was the guy who was in charge, right? And he didn't like this. He didn't like that his land was being populated by a whole bunch of Israelite people because he was worried they were going to overtake him. He was worried they were going to be, you know, all present in every single thing, and they might even overthrow him. So sure enough, this is how the process happened, that the Israelites became slaves because in Exodus 1.11 says this, says, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves because they were worried about them overtaking the population and overtaking the land. Well, if you've studied anything about slavery, you know that it's horrific and barbaric in conditions, and this was no different. They were abused and beaten. They were probably starving, right? They were in conditions that were almost unthinkable. But Pharaoh wasn't done. He wasn't satisfied in that moment. In fact, in that moment, because he didn't want this to get anywhere near out of control, in Exodus 1.22, it said this. It says, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, horrendous, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. Why? Because he didn't want any more Israelites being born. He didn't want any more population expansion. He didn't want any more growth. And so to just put it in a practical term for us here today, to kind of state the obvious, celebrate the obvious for the Israelites, times are not good, right? Like times are not good for these people right here. They're, they're in poverty. They are slavery. This is just a really rough time as they are in Egypt, a rough time for these people. But God hates oppression, and God does not want his people or people to be oppressed. And so there was something about to happen through one man who we're going to talk about for the next three weeks. And his name was Moses. And Moses was a guy who God was going to use to do something big related to these Israelites who were oppressed in slavery in Egypt. 
And what I love so much about this is that Moses was from the lineage of Joseph. Moses, if you actually look at a family tree and you want to kind of go deeper this week, you're Googling, looking around. Google Moses' family tree and look actually how close he was to Joseph, that guy that I mentioned when we started the message. Because one of Joseph's descendants was actually Moses' mother, right? And it says this in Exodus 2.22. It says, the woman became pregnant, his mom, and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a what? Special baby. And kept him hidden for three months. But after three months, she was very worried that the Egyptians were going to find her son. Because they had ordered that all newborn Hebrew babies were to be thrown into the Nile River. And so what she did, and God was working miraculously behind the scene through all this. What she did is she created a basket and put Moses in that basket. And placed him in the river. And just as God always does when he works behind the scenes, Moses was found by Pharaoh's daughter, a princess. Told you you don't want to miss these details. They're good, right? He was found by Pharaoh's daughter, a princess, but Pharaoh's daughter was not a mom, so she couldn't nurse him. She couldn't take care of him. So Moses's earthly mother was nearby, and she asked Moses's mother to raise him, to take care of him. God working miraculously behind the scenes. And then it says in Exodus 2.10, it says this, later when the boy was older, the mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. Moses' mother brought him back, and he was adopted by the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, given a home in a palace. Right there, he was adopted. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Before he was named Moses, he was named Leroy. I don't know, I just made that up. I was just, I figured we better break the ice. This is like a story today, you know? We better just get people laughing a little bit. Leroy Kirschwin, I don't know, I just, you know. Anyway, so Moses in that moment was adopted. He was an adopted baby right out of the river, right? And this was so important for us to understand about how these events took place because his people were oppressed in slavery and Moses shouldn't even be alive. But God worked this miracle behind the scenes because he knew that long-term Moses was going to do something amazing. Now, the scripture doesn't talk about how, what the next thing I'm going to put on the screen is. It doesn't talk about the processes for it, but here's something that we know about Moses, and it's deep within him, and it's probably God-ordained from like the get-go as he was born and you know, given life. This is something we know about Moses. Moses knew his lineage. Moses knew that he was a Hebrew and that he was a Jewish person. He was an Israelite and he knew that his people were being oppressed. And let me tell you something else. Not only did Moses know his lineage, Moses was passionate about his people. Moses was passionate about what was happening to his people, much like any of us would be if we saw the kind of horrific atrocities and oppression that was going on with these Israelites who were bound in slavery. So Moses grew up a little bit. And when Moses grew up, something happened. In fact, there was an incident. If you're a Seinfeld fan, you know that this is a word that they use a lot because I'm a Seinfeld fan. And Kramer would always say, well, there was an incident. You know, that's just, you know, code for setting up the episode. Like the time he punched Mickey Mantle in the mouth. That was a good one. I like that. Anyway, at the fantasy camp, there was an incident in Moses' life. So one day, Moses saw this happening. He saw an Egyptian guard abusing an Israelite slave. From a distance, we don't know how far away he was, but he saw this going on. He saw a guard who was mistreating one of the Israelite slaves. And this mistreatment filled Moses with rage. It filled him with passion. In fact, it filled him up so much that he made a decision that he would probably regret for the rest 
of his life. In Exodus 2.12, it talks about what Moses did. It says that after looking at all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Moses killed this Egyptian guard and hid the body in the sand. That's how fired up and mad and passionate he was about what was happening to his people. But do you know what this made him when he did this? When he committed this thing that he shouldn't have done, it made him something. It made him a murderer. It wasn't the right thing to do. And sure enough, when you take the life of another human being, that's the label that gets put on you. It made him a murderer. He killed that other Egyptian slave. And sure enough, the next day, the scripture says, as Moses approached some people, they said to him, hey, you're going to kill me too? Meaning that even though he tried to hide the body, people saw it. People knew. And sure enough, it got back not only to some of the other Egyptian guards and some of the Israelite slaves, but it got back to who else but Pharaoh. And Pharaoh wanted Moses' head on a platter. Why? Because he betrayed the Egyptian heritage that he had bestowed upon him when they adopted him. But Moses was fighting because he knew his lineage. So Pharaoh wanted him, he wanted him dead. He wanted Moses killed. So much like many of us would probably very practically and very naturally do, Moses did something. Moses fled, much like you on I-95 when you've been pulled over. Like, you don't want, you know, you don't want to stop. You'd rather go, right? But Moses fled, and he fled to a nearby town, and he found a new family. He met some people there and ended up settling there. He actually ended up marrying a woman there. Her name was Zipporah. So he started a new life thinking that if I can just get out of here, if I can just get out of Dodge, things are going to be brighter for me in the future. If I can just leave this all behind, I never have to think about it again. They'll never find me. I'll disguise myself. Whatever went through his head, he left. And sure enough, then him and Zipporah had a son along the way. He started a new family there after this incident, after he fled. But as always, when God wants you to do something, or when God knows that something's going to happen, it's going to happen anyway. Sometimes we just have to have the faith to do it. Because see, when Moses was there, something started to happen. Miracles started to happen. There were things that started to happen in the life of Moses that were unnatural, things that shouldn't have been happening. But I'll tell you why I believe that miracles started to happen. I'll tell you why I believe with all of my heart that I think that these miraculous things started to occur. And I'm going to talk about one of them in just a second. I believe that miracles started to occur. And let me tell you why. Because I believe that God is a God that hates oppression. And I believe that God heard the cry of his oppressed people. I believe that God is a good God, and we see that in the life of Jesus who lived thousands of years after the events that I'm talking about. We, live, we see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus, the risen Messiah, who said to his followers, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you should love your neighbor as yourself. That means that I know that God hates oppression, and his people were oppressed. So there was Moses, and there was this miraculous thing that was about to happen. And right by Moses, and we don't necessarily know all the details of all of these events, but I love this part of the scripture because it's so interesting to think about this actually happening. So Moses was outside, and there was a bush by him, and this bush caught on fire. Now, it's, we'll call it the burning bush. Maybe some of you have heard it before. 
But if you're like me and you're outside and a bush catches on fire, like you're, you're going to try to put it out, right? Especially with the lack of rain we've been having, okay? You're going, yeah, I gotta, this is weird. What, what is this? But, but Moses, this bush was unique and interesting because this bush was on fire, yet the fire, the scripture says, was not consuming the bush. It was just burning, almost illuminescent, right? And so in Exodus 3.3, it says this. It says, this is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Well, sure enough, God was about to perform a miracle. And God was going to use this unnatural, miraculous thing, this burning bush, to actually have a conversation with Moses. And God and Moses had this dialogue back and forth. And I got to tell you something. If you want something extra to do during the week, a lot of times people will say to me, how do I go deeper during the week? Go read this dialogue between God and Moses. It is amazing. It is awesome. You're going to love it. It is so interesting and unique. But this is what God said in Exodus 3, verse 7. This is what he said to Moses. See, he goes, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. And then God said, now you, Moses, now go. For I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of oppression. Let me tell you about the conversation that ensued. Because Moses, you have to be thinking on his behalf, my goodness, I was adopted into this royal family. I've betrayed this family. I'm going to go back? I don't think so. Moses pleads with God to reconsider. Moses pleads with God to reconsider, going, God, no, listen, there's got to be somebody else for this job. Do not pick me. Do not use me. I'm not good at this. The dialogue that goes on in this passage of Scripture between God and Moses is history-making. It is so interesting to see God, this ever-present, massive creator of the universe, bigger than we could ever understand or comprehend, dialoguing with one of his creations about his abilities and what he'll do. And in Exodus 4.10, Moses pleaded with the Lord. And I can almost envision him whining while saying this, right? Going, oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied. My words get tangled. Please choose someone else. Don't pick me. I Choose anybody else, like Bill over there, like, you know, Richard. Like, pick somebody else besides me, anybody else besides me. I cannot do this. There's no way I can do this, God. So God and Moses dialogue through this whole thing. And then so God says, okay, listen, I understand. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send your brother Aaron with you so that he can speak on your behalf. See, because here's one of the things that I know. Even if we say no to something that we feel like God has put on our hearts or in our life, he's going to get it done anyway if he wants to. So God said, okay, if you don't want to do this, I'll send Aaron with you, but you guys are going to get it done. And so for Moses in his life, he looked at that burning bush, and that was his calling. That was his nudging from God. Those were his instructions from God. Well, I always talked about this at Downtown Harbor Church. We try to bring everything back to the practical. We try to bring everything back right to our life, right where we are, right here and right now. And so I have a question that I'm going to put on the screen. That's going to hit every single one of us square in the face because when I wrote it, it hit me square in the face. And it's a question that I think is so relevant and so practical to each one of our lives. And here's what it is. What's your burning bush? What's your burning bush? 
what are you being called to do that you're not? What are you being led to do that you're like, I can't do this? What has been on your heart for a long time that you know that you need to do or be a part of, but you're like, I need a wingman. I can't do this by myself. I need a wingman. God's calling me to it. I know that I should do it. I need a wingman. And for so often, so many of us look at a burning bush and they go, and we go, well, I have to go out and you know, start a nonprofit or I have to go out and fight hunger in a foreign country. Those are good things and we should do those good things. But sometimes our burning bush is just something simple. Sometimes our burning bush is this nudging and this leading from God that we need to invite somebody to come and sit here with us that we haven't yet and we know that we should. We're like, nah, they'll never come. Sometimes our burning bush is just picking up the phone and making it right with someone who's wronged us or we've wronged. Nah, I don't need to do that. I'm avoiding it. But you know deep down inside that it is your burning bush and God speaking to you to go make a difference. And you've avoided it. And you've put it off for way too long. What's yours? See, because here's something else I believe. You can miss out on a blessing by passing up an opportunity. You can miss out on that. You can miss out on a blessing, and God may have that blessing for your life, but because you keep kicking the football down the field or kicking the can down the road, and you're like, I know that I should do this. God's been leading me here for a long time, but you know what? No, God, I can't, not me. I can't do this. It's time for us to look those burning bushes in the face, and it's time to start saying yes, because God is going to get it done anyway. And you don't want to miss out on what that opportunity could look like for you in your life. So let me tell you one thing that I know about Moses, because we've talked about him, right? We've talked about him being tossed into a river in a basket and being adopted. We've talked about him murdering an Egyptian guard because of what he saw was wrong. And then we've seen him in an argument with the creator of the universe because he doesn't have the confidence to go get the job done that God has told him to do. So here's something that I know about Moses. And it's blunt, and it's real, and it's 100% accurate. His life was not perfect. And so often, people think that to be used by God or to do something related to God that you have to be perfect. His life was not perfect. And allow me to make a statement about every single individual in this room, myself included. In fact, I'm probably number one. Your life is not perfect. Moses' life was not perfect. Your life is not perfect. Here's what I want you to know about God and what he said to Moses in that moment. He said, no, 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 no. I know you're not perfect. But you are who I'm choosing to go release these people. Go tell him, let my people go. His life was not perfect, but God chose to use him anyway. Didn't matter. Didn't matter that he had a past. It didn't matter that he wasn't confident. It didn't matter that he was, you know, arguing with God all the time. God said, no, 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 I'm going to use you anyway. Your life is not perfect, just like his life is not perfect. God can use you anyway, too. You just have to let him. And see, that's where our burning bush comes in. That's where this is so key for us to have a conversation and a discussion about this. Because we all have things in our life that we go, I know 
that I should be doing that. I know, I feel it in my heart. Maybe it's a change that you need to make in your life, and you know that you've needed to change it for a long time, and you've been putting it off. Maybe it's something that you need to do. Maybe your heart is broken over something, and you need to go after something with all your heart. I don't know what that is for you, but what I love so much about this room is that what that is for me is it's different for every single person here, but it's our burning bush. And so what we have to do, what we have to figure out is how to allow God to kind of infiltrate our hearts and to use us anyway. Here's the last thing I want you to know today. This is it, our bottom line for today. Even though your life is not perfect, God can still use you. Your life is far from perfect, right? Ask my wife about mine. It's not good, right? She probably wouldn't tell you out of the sake of a reputation. She's a good person. Anyway, um, but here's the deal. We all got stuff, junk, things we're carrying around. And we tend to go, well, this, this, this is on my heart. It's my burning bush. But I'm not perfect, so I can't, I can't go after it. Bogus. God sat there and argued with Mo Moses for paragraphs. You should go, I'm telling you, it's awesome. You should go read it. Argue with Moses for paragraphs about this. If I said, okay, I'll, I'll let your brother go with you. Here's what we need to do around here at Downtown Harbor Church. Identify what that is in our hearts and then start saying yes. I want to see us do that over and over again so that our communities can be different, so that our families can be different, so that our church can be different, allowing God to work through our lives to use us to do these miraculous things, these modern-day miracles that could change everything. For me, you know what my burning bush was? Downtown Harbor Church. Some of you have heard this. Many of you have not. For years, God had put it on my heart to begin to figure out what it looked like to plant something where people could come for the first time just as they are because the local church has isolated them and a place has become a place that has walled themselves off and I didn't like it anymore. And sure enough, over the course of time, I just kept saying, no, I can't do that. I could never be used. And sure enough, God put the pieces together into a place where finally a group of us just finally said, yes, what's yours? You got one. I know you do. It may be a simple one. It may be a complex one. But say yes. Your future depends on it. Someone else's future might depend on it. Even though your life is not perfect, God can still use you. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for who you are and what you do. And dear God, I pray that you would help us in this room today address those burning bushes, whatever they are, what you're leading us toward, what you're calling us to. We know it's there. It's deep. It's real. And I pray that you help us address it. Jesus, surround us with your grace and your presence as we figure this out one step at a time together. And we just want to tell you how much we love you and we thank you for all the things that you have done in our lives. But God, we don't want to stop just there. We want to address these things that we know you're leading us and guiding us to do day by day, week in, week out, month in, month out. Help us to do that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.